When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dad Bod Rap Pod. My name is Damone Carter, AKA Dim One. I am a lifelong citizen of the Bay Area. One of the tenets of Bay Area membership is you are supposed to hate LA, um, which I did for a great many years. So I actually got to go there and hang out and visit. And I fucking love LA. LA is uh-huh. fucking amazing. Perhaps my favorite US city. Um, and so this program is sponsored by Randy Newman. We all love LA. We got we LA shit. It. We love it. Um, I am joined by the illustrious fellow LA lovers, Mr. Nathan J. LeBlanc. How's it going? I'm good. Thanks, Damone. Um, yeah, I'm the same as you. Like, I, I always had this vague sense that I was supposed to hate LA. And there's like, there's a weird thing in my family. And maybe I could just ask you guys if you heard this too. Like, LA steals our water. Like, yeah. I have a couple family members who like cannot get over this thing. Like, one, we're supposed to hate the Dodgers, <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I don't even know if they have a football team. It's mostly a Dodgers thing. Um, and like, I, I kind of do hate the Dodgers still. Same. Like, great colors, great <laughs> sense of design. Dodger Stadium, very cool place to see a game. But uh, yeah, there's always been this weird thing in my family about LA stealing our water as one of the reasons we're supposed <laughs> to not like it. Which I just don't care about. Um, yeah, I'm also a fan. Two of my best friends live in the LA area. I visit as often as I can. It's the center of the film industry and many ways the music industry. They have amazing food, except for squirrels, moldy jam. And like, uh, I don't know what, like, what we're supposed to not be into. It has beautiful weather and everyone's hot and like, there's tons of things to do. So yeah, LA fucking rules. (laughs) And also here in the Zoom, we have Mr. David Ma, who, uh, who actually talks to cool people from LA much more, <laughs> much more than me and Nate do. How's it going, Dave? Hey, what's up, Damone? Thank you, man. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Um, man, I love LA, but right now I miss LA. Um, oh, so you know much. what? One of my last trips before the world ended was in LA, and we were lucky enough to play some records at Peanut Butter Wolf's uh, Gold Line Bar, and that mm-hmm. was just a ridiculous experience. I mean, he has the old, uh, old school rotary 
mixer so it just makes you sound like an amazing dj every record is warm as fuck it's just it's just the perfect dynamics but i mean when i'm in la i feel like i'm home you know um the palm trees even the way that some some of the houses are set up like it feels like i'm on the east side sometimes so i really love that and la's food game is just you know like we we need some late night food game action and la has that shit and man i i love la dude i'm i never got caught up in a lot of the um sports rivalries or anything like that i have family there and you know i i, I love going to places where there's diversity man i can grab a taco and some records and i'm good david ma with advice for life get tacos <laughs> records and we're straight and yeah that's kind of the the whole theme of this uh episode episode 128 of the dad bod rap pod uh the world is in flames but we continue chugging along with high quality podcast content for y'all. Um, Nate. I do want to note that uh, this, we, we did some themed episodes early in our run where we were like, we don't have anything to talk about today. Let's talk about Chicago. And we used to build it around the guest. This mm-hmm. one happened a little bit more organically. Like we, we happened to interview an LA based uh, game experience who are <laughs> our buddies. Uh, Felicia, who's an author of a book on LA and then underground rap uh, sensation, AWOL One. So it's uh, it was just funny to like, it's like these three things seem like they don't make any sense, but the connection is that they're all LA based or about LA. So yeah, I don't mind taking a little time. Like LA is also a very important hip hop city. Like, oh, 100%. If, if just Lamert Park was mm-hmm. the thing it would mm-hmm. be one of the most important things in my hip-hop existence let alone gangster rap and like right. all the various like um regional kind of like diversity of sounds that comes out of there so i right. just wanted to like give a little peek behind the curtain like we're not like well maybe we would move to la but that's a whole different story <laughs> it's basically like this all lined up so we're leaning into it not the other way around <laughs> yeah it's interesting um it's interesting nate that um, for this for this episode, the theme sort of built around us, so it's it's really cool when that sort of happens organically. Um, and I would definitely move to LA. Just putting would it out you, there. Would Just you putting it out there, future employers? <laughs> 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 P- putting that on my LinkedIn as we speak. Um, what's up with you, Damon? Yeah, I, I definitely moved to LA in a in a heartbeat. Um, my son, who is an aspiring musician, that is his number one goal. He'll be a senior this oh. year at high school and we're exclusively looking at LA colleges because his whole bit is to go down there. And I feel like as a Bay Area artist and somebody who has been, you know, tangentially or or directly connected to Bay Area artists in in the music industry, um, I think the big differentiator is who actually moved to LA and who stayed in the Bay Area. So with my kid, I'm like, Bro, just go. At least just go <laughs> to, to, you know, you can always come back home, but don't spend your life thinking about what could happen. The shit is 500 miles away. Right. Go, go check it out. Try your hand at it as, as a cabillion other people are doing. Um, but it will be interesting to see what uh, the LA experience is like, you know, um, in the kind of COVID-y world that we're living in right now. And, um, you know, I, I do look forward to being able uh, to get back down there. You guys pulled back the curtain on the fact that this episode just came together, which as an artist, I hate when y'all do that. 
Um, <laughs> I like to take credit for everything that happens. Like we orchestrated all that shit. But if we would have, if we would have taken a little bit more time to put this together, we could have come up with our top three LA experiences. And we don't have time mm. for them mm. right now to do all of them. But I'm gonna put y'all on the spot. Give me one of your top three LA experiences, Nate LeBlanc. Um, it's actually Venice Beach. Um, I had a friend who worked at this restaurant called Jelena when it was really cracking and like it was like the coolest restaurant you could go to. And we got to go to their second year anniversary employee only party. Mm. And um, yeah, it was really, really <laughs> fun. There are not that many stories about it that I can tell on the air. But um, I, I, I did two things for the first time. I saw someone saber champagne in front of me. Wow. You know what that is? Where they take no. the back of a long knife and they you run the, the back of the knife along the bottle what? and then you cut the, the top like, of the thing off like clean. That. So the, wow. the sommelier okay. sabers the champagne right in front of me. I stick my glass out, like hope there's no glass shards in it. And I'm drinking like, you know, ice cold champagne in their back, beautiful deck. Like, it's like, it's literally the coolest restaurant in the world at that point. And I'm back there with like private access. And then on that night, toward the end of the night, it was kind of like a buffet and you went through the kitchen to get the food. So a, a couple guys were cooking, including the cook or the chef, Travis Lett. And he's just like bullshitting with everybody. And no one knows us or why the fuck we're there, including us. But right. it was amazing <laughs> to be there. And so... I ate two things that completely changed my life that night. One was a two rib Neiman ranch pork chop that was caramelized to such a degree on the outside that it tasted like bacon. So it's like this like shattery bacon wow. thing. And then when you bite through it, it's the most like succulent, juicy pork chop in the world. One of the best things I've ever eaten. And then the other one was a butterscotch pot de creme with sea salt on top. So these little pots, of like the world's most delicious butterscotch pudding with big flakes of Malden on it. And like just the ratio and the way that hit, like I, it's like the only way I can describe it was an ecstatic experience. It's probably, Lucy wow. and I unprompted, we're talking about the, this photogram last night and how it's one of the best <laughs> things we've ever eaten. So I got some, it, and it's all in LA, it's all about exclusivity, right? It's like yeah. no one has invited me to Soho house yet but I have been to a private dinner. At <laughs> so like, like we'll work on our getting our game up. But uh, what about you, Dave? What's your top LA thing? Man, I, there, there's so many, but I gotta, I'm just going to pull from a recent memory, which was um, on our way to Mexico City about three years ago. Uh, Misa, my partner and I uh, stopped in LA for a couple nights. And uh, every time we travel, we take a lot of edibles with us. You know what I mean? For the, for the duration of the vacation, right? So we're in LA. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're at an Airbnb. We're sort of sort of out of sorts and we take some edibles. Next thing you know, you know, it wasn't 50 milligrams. It was 500 milligrams. Wow. So we are literally like fucking acid tripping, walking around. But it was one of those sort of experiences where it's like, I feel like I'm at home and we're going to get some really good grub, right? So we're looking for Korean town. And, uh, you know, for those who haven't been, it's like, oh, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I'm here. I'm fucking immersed yep. in Korea town. Yep. So literally on about 450 MGs, more than I thought I would be, eating wow. Korean barbecue, off the hook. Everybody left us alone, and we still got elote afterwards. Amazing. That's you pretty are, much you it. You oddity. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, this is a continuation of our uh, oh, LA that's episode. Right. That's right. Know? That's funny. What about you, Damon? 
Um, it's interesting because I think, Dave, we were in L.A. and in Koreatown at the same time. We did. I texted yeah. you. That's right. Yeah. Um, except you were just texting random emojis, and I didn't understand why. <laughs> but now... The crazy uh, emoji? Yeah. Pretty much. I, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was there with my family, not on edibles. Uh, my top L.A. experience, or I, I'd say, again, one, because I haven't had time to rank them, but um, as... Frequent listeners of the pod might know uh, DJ D Styles is is a really good friend of mine. Mm. So one year, I forget when it was, but it was very early in the Low End Theory run. I came to LA. He was like, "Bro, you have to come to Low End Theory. You got to come to the airliner. Like the shit is gonna be fucking sick." I didn't quite understand what it was, or even the beat scene. I didn't understand mm. what it was, but I went went with my guy uh, Maestro Gaming. Shout out to him. So we, we go over there. It's, it's a, you know, it's a small little whatever club. It's, it's nothing amazing, but uh, go in there. It's like this multi-level club, you know, we're dumb high. Um, and I stop in this doorway and there's this cat kind of crouching down to get through the doorway and D styles turns to me and he's like, Hey, this is the homie flying Lotus. Oh. I was like, ah. <laughs> um, he's just like, he's like, what's up? Whatever. Um, uh what is it daedalus was there dressed as a kind of a leprechaun dandy type of person <laughs> like shit was wild right? right so so i'm out there you know whatever they have a balcony area out there smoking and drinking talking with people um and i forget who was playing but somebody dropped a portis head joint like right after gangstar or something <laughs> And to me, this was just so fucking amazing. Again, I hadn't been introduced right. to the beat scene. I wasn't right. aware that people were making these connections. So Portishead drops, and I'm like, woo! And everybody looked at me like, bro, are you new? <laughs> are you brand fucking new? Why are you so excited? You're like, um, I'm in L.A., and I just saw a wandering star. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think it was wandering star. Uh, so, so it was just that kind of experience where I felt like a hick. You know what I mean? <laughs> I felt like a rube, but at the same time, it was just so amazing and so kind of like typically LA, you know, seeing people like, mm -hmm. oh, I know who that is. And everybody's just kind of hanging out and chilling. And that's when I had the visceral, like, why am I supposed to hate LA? Like, right, right. people are passing me weed and talking about how much they love the Bay Area. Like, it's totally. Yeah. So, so we hope that a uh, post COVID LA will come back so that we can go there and or work there, LA employers. Um, but I, I love San Jose too. Like, let's not get canceled over here because uh, we have to stay home. Nate, don't shake your head. Uh, so this is episode 128. Like we've been saying, we have um, a triple decker of interviews coming up. I believe our first triple decker. Nice. Is it? Okay. Nice. We've had some interviews where the one rapper talked for the length of three interviews. But <laughs> Nate, you're right. I do believe this is the first uh, triple interview um, so here's, here's, here's the lineup, uh, batting lead off for the Dodgers. We have, uh, a couple of, uh, folks who are really cool, uh, called questions hip hop. They do a hip hop game trivia experience. We were uh, participants in this game, uh, which thankfully is not recorded anywhere. It was on IG live. Uh, we didn't do so hot, but it's a, it's a really dope game and a, and a fun experience. So we have, a. Uh, DJ Steve Wonder, um, as well as uh, Sean from the questions on. Um, after that, we have uh, an another dope interview with uh, 
Felicia Viator, who just released a book called To Live and Defy in LA, uh, History of Gangster Rap Changed America, which is out now on Harvard University Press. And then, and then, batting cleanup, we have A Walrus, A Wall One, Star Wars. Dude, <laughs> whose voice? I love when you interview the rapper, right, Nate? When you interview the rapper and they sound just like they sound. Oh, totally, totally. Like, quite, that quite is not a really why I do this. Yes. <laughs> to see whose voice sounds like their voice. Right. Oh, if, my God. If we ever talk to Biz Marquis and he does not sound like the Biz. Right. I'm gonna, yeah, that's going to be a dark day. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If you just talked to Biz and he was like, so, fellas. Uh, <laughs> I know. Hello there. Yeah. When I recorded Vapors, no, Biz don't talk like that. Um, so, yeah, AWOL 1 being AWOL 1 on the program. Uh, yeah, always dope to get to talk to uh, some movers and shakers from the L.A. scene as well as people we respect deeply. So, like I said, we're going to get started with our interview with the cats from Questions Hip Hop right here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, another dope episode for y'all, another dope interview in the land of Zoom. We have special guests. We were on their program not too long ago, and they were kind enough to stop by and rap with us today. From the questions, we have Steve Wonder and Sean Kantrowitz. Uh, they embarrassed Dave. <laughs> on, uh, on an episode of uh, Questions Hip Hop Trivia Podcast. No, we all went on there and it was, it was really fun. And then we, um, we got Dave to be the ringer in the final round. And um, yeah, it was, it was a good time. How you guys doing? Good. This is, is this going to be a 30 for 30 where we just talk about uh, how we review. Dave? <laughs> just a, re a review of the performance? I would like to yeah. say why I missed each question I did. <laughs> we don't have to make it all a, a post-mortem on our very middling uh, performance on your show, but we just wanted to kind of learn more about you guys and how yeah. the show got started and how you guys know each other. And why don't you take us back to the beginning? Back to the beginning. Well, uh, Steve and I are actually cousins. Uh, mm. uh, so, um, though we didn't actually know each other uh, for most of our lives, yeah. I, uh, I, I moved to the, to the West Coast, to Los Angeles, uh, about five years ago, uh, maybe six years ago. And, uh, and I sort of tangentially knew that I had this relative that I had never met before. And uh, we had a, you know, a mutual relative who sort of recommended that we get together. And it was sort of one of those cool things where not only was it somebody roughly my age who, you know, like I got along with, we, we got along, but also we discovered we are super fucking hip hop heads. And like that was, that was just a really kind of interesting, um, just an interesting pairing there. And Steve, I guess we were just sort of, I don't really remember what the exact genesis of the idea was, though. Yeah. Um, 
Well, the story, I was going to say the story starts with my aunt, actually, who, crazy enough, after rec she recommended us connecting for a long time, she always knew about my DJ career in hip hop. She's like, oh, this, she's like a, a, a yenta, you know, like always gossiping and rumoring, oh, this cousin, I know, blah, blah. And I was always kind of like putting it off. So, like, I had known about this cousin. And then finally, we just connected. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, being being super into all the minutia and everything, Steve being a DJ, you know, I, I'd come out here to, to, you know, I was a music producer and, and still am, still, still work on music, but just, you know, sort of feeling like there was a real untapped, well, I, I, we're, I don't know if you guys edit these, I'm sorry that it kind of feels like we're, we're rambling here, but, okay. you know, I think part of, part of it also was just, having been to scores of live events, because this started as a live event, the questions was a live event. And, uh, you know, you get to a certain point where you might be developing a dad bod, um, or you're, you're into your dad bod era, and being maybe just a little less enthused with going to hip hop shows or just going to events or nights where it's DJ spinning. And of course, like those platforms and art forms are always gonna be great, but you do something a hundred times, it's maybe going to lose a little bit of its luster. So we were like, what if we did like a trivia night, but we did it, we made it really dope. What, 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 if, what if we really made it something that like we would enjoy and you could just as easily get people who would otherwise have gone to a DJ night or a hip hop show and get them to come out to a trivia night and actually like legitimately enjoy it, you know? So that was, that was sort of what launched that into gear. And then we've shifted with COVID-19, obviously, into becoming a, we're all cam girls now. We're all we're all broadcasting <laughs> in the Straight age up. of the Rona. So that's 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 what that is. Yeah, well, that's uh that's uh I guess what all of us have been trying to shift and go through. Have you found it's has it added anything to the show having to do it in the in the virtual space? Because I was really impressed when we went on, is you've got the beat machine, you've kind of got the graphics you know set up and such which was that all that pre-existing or is that uh like wrinkles you've added since we've been in quarantine that was all really added i mean the images were always a part of the live experience that we did before uh when we were doing live you know in-person events uh and you know the dj always played uh instrumental no pun intended you know part in a lot of the music elements but we sort of we, I've said this before, I mean, pending that Steve or I don't die from COVID, like I think that the pandemic is actually the best thing that happened to the questions because it removes a lot of the, uh, you know, it removes a lot of the, the logistics of having to do live events and it has allowed us to spread a lot faster and reach a lot more people than we did before. You know, we were just starting to branch out into other parts of the country outside of Los Angeles uh, really at the top of the year. So it was a little disappointing at first that, oh, I guess we got to pump the brakes on that. But I think that doing it in the digital space has been a, a blessing for sure. Um, you know, uh, you guys have had a wide range of people on, obviously, you know, people like notables like Dante Ross or, you know, rappers like Chubb Rock recently, Master Ace, um, DJs, writers, Dart, Dart Adams, all kinds of people. I guess my question is, do you have a hierarchy of who? of performance, like who does well, who, who does the best? Do, do the DJs do the best or the producers do the best or who does the worst? Like rappers do the worst or what, what's the order? I'm just kind of curious. I can actually pull that up, but I mean, see if you want to extrapolate, <laughs> oh, extrapolate on it, Steve, uh, while I do that. Um, 
I think, well, to what you were saying, I think like we find it important to have a variety of guests. Mm -hmm. And we found when our, our shows, like the week, uh, you know, the, the week is rapper heavy, like, right. All right. We need to bring in a writer now. Like we have to bring, mm -hmm. you know, like it's like cycling through. Cause then it becomes, we don't want to pigeonhole us. Like we just had Tamir Moore, who's an actor on Insecure, comedian, great guy. I think the rappers and DJs do better, right? Trackstar did well, J.E. did yeah. well. I, I can tell you our, our, so we have 15 questions in the game as we've done them. And these are, nobody has ever scored perfect, but these are all the people, it's like a list of five or six people who have gotten 14 out of 15 right. Oh, wow. That is okay. uh, Don Will from Tanya Morgan. Um, J.E., the producer who did all of Nelly's first album, who's, who's a homie of ours. Um, we did most of Nelly's album. Uh, Trackstar, the DJ from Run the Jewels. Uh, Merce, comedian and mm. actor Joe DeRosa. Oh, yeah, Joe and, it. Yeah, and Fonte from Little Brother, Porn Exchange. Those are our, wow. our that's nearly our top. Um, you know, they're, they're the guys who are closest okay. to the top. Okay, okay. That's awesome. Okay. We had really, really good interviews with Don Will and Fonte as well. Like both of those guys have mad stories, are mad cool. And like, they're, they're like not even just hip hop heads, but music heads. And it just like permeates their being. So I can't say I'm too surprised at some of those. Um, that's awesome. I want to ask a little bit about each of you guys individually, Sean, it says in your Twitter bio, you are a Grammy nominated musician producer. Like tell us a little bit about your, your, your music deal, please. Yeah, so I like I said, I moved out to Los Angeles uh, to sort of more heavily pursue uh, the music uh, side of things. I also had always worked uh, in video production as well. But um, yeah, upon moving out here, I'd done a lot of like underground stuff and a lot of underground hip hop, you know, playing on people's records because I kind of started as an instrumentalist first. Are you a guitar um, so guy? Yeah, guitar, keys, um, that kind of stuff. So that was sort of where I made my mark initially. Just I was the guy that all the homies that I had who were just more traditional beat makers, I'd play on their stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And moving out to Los Angeles from Florida, which was where I was originally from, don't hold it against me, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I started, uh, you know, I obviously there's so much more industry and business out here. So, um, uh, one of the first big things that I really did when I moved out here, I wound up uh, playing on Dr. Dre's Compton album, um, mm. which was nominated for the best rap album that year. That was in 2015. And that was just a really cool experience. I was working at the time with the artist who was signed to Aftermath and got to be in a lot of really interesting rooms and like just a lot of like pinch yourself, like, wow, like this is really happening um and uh yeah so i did that and then i've worked also in like the pop space as well uh, a mutual friend of steven ours uh he uh produced um for kelly clarkson and i, I played on uh two of her records as well so yeah it's i'm i definitely am a music head and a musician at heart um but it, it's it's kind of cool I, I, I think it sort of like brings a little bit of an element of nerdiness to like the trivia element here because I was always somebody who was really reading the liner notes and obsessing over it because it felt like even more pertinent, uh, you know, to what my life was, <laughs> you know.
Right on. Um, Steve, um, I've heard of you before, way before I ever met you, because you are an excellent DJ, and I think you run in similar circles as some of our friends, like King Most and Cutso, and I believe, <clears throat> please correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't have time to go run and flip through all the mixtapes, but I have an old mixtape of yours. It was like seven different DJs doing like segments, and you had oh, yeah, B-Cause on there? Okay. Super 7, JCO put that out, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so that's where I think I first heard That you. was like a decade ago or something. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that was when I was so, uh, yeah. dealing with I mean, let, <laughs> let me just date, Let me just date myself real fast. No, but um, I actually got hit to you guys through Cutso. You know, like, I think he had posted about it. I think he was on an episode with you guys where you were breaking down Liquid Swords. And I had done a mixtape with him where he... It was a clothing brand in San Jose, a Holloway, I think it was called. And he had done a, a Cuban Link side and I did um, a Jizza side, you know? Right. So when I, I, I listened to the episode, I was like, instantly, I was like, oh, these, these guys are on it. Like, this is my, you know, the, the humor you guys had, the breakdowns. I was like, these guys got it going on. So, you know, I became a fan of you guys instantly. But thanks. I, I mean, I've been DJing since high school. You know, it started in the mid-90s, 95, 96, and um, I've had a, you know, a, a cool career. You know, I definitely reached heights I never imagined I would, um, from a bedroom DJ to a college dorm party DJ to uh, Indian restaurant DJ to, <laughs> to meeting DJ AM and, like, learning about the whole club and Hollywood scene to nightclubs and traveling the country and traveling the world, actually. And, you know, always have been, you know, my, my roots are in underground hip hop in you know, Alcoholics, Project Blow, like my heart lies in West Coast hip hop, mm. all hip hop, you know, um, but, you know, having, you know, learning to evolve in the scene, playing more pop music. Uh, you know, I, I did a, a mixtape with Neil Armstrong in the early 2000s, just like I've, I've been able to do so many different things that, you know, when I started DJing, it was just like. I love DJing. It's cool. I love music, you know? So, you know, I, I've had a really cool uh, arc, you know, and now, you know, that all brought us to, you know, meeting Sean and always being obsessed with the liner notes and the breaks mm -hmm. and the nerdery of hip hop, you know, when, when I, my, I have an older brother and when he first put me on a hip hop when I was like seven years old, so like maybe 86 and he was, he like, he like opened Pandora's box for me because that young, he, he showed me, that it's an it's a never ending door or you know a, a keyhole that, that that just the history and the connections and everything like it's just this universe that's ever expansive and that's you know knowing that it's like oh we should do a trivia show like there's so much you know and you know we can so much to talk about so much history and we know that there are like minded people like that just like when I first heard you guys podcast and, and I think, you know, you know, I kind of missed the blog sphere and I wasn't yeah. really hyped to being online. I know Sean was big and okay player boards and like, but I'm realizing how much of that universe is expansive online now. And mm -hmm. COVID hitting right now has brought us where that it's like, we're here now, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. We're all kind of uh, trapped in the same space, but able to connect. I'm, I'm wondering how do you guys come up, with the questions themselves? Is that a collaborative process? What kind of like research goes into that? Is there, is there vetting? Like, how do you, how do you land on, on good questions? Well, I think when we first started, like the first iteration of the game that we ever did, we thought we had made like the best, you know, 
we had made the best version ever. And then we, we, you take it to the people and you see how that goes. They're like, oh, we might be showing a little bit of our 30 something white dude bias here. We, we need to maybe uh, make some adjustments. So I think kind of early on, we, we sort of revel a bit in, in covering all of the spectrum, wherein like, I always would love when we would have a lot of our friends who were like super like brainiac, you know, had to surgically remove the Jansport like years ago from their back. Let's throw in Amigos question. You know what I mean? Because it's still hip hop and it's, and it's still, it's still relevant to somebody. Uh, so doing those sort of things, I don't really think that there's anything that's off limits. I mean, we've certainly had questions about artists that I know that either of us don't like, you know, we, 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 <laughs> we, 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 we put things in there because I think it's sort of all important, but, um, you know, we spent a lot of time in the beginning figuring out the different categories and the different sort of uh, like subsections of the game, which I think has really helped give us a lot of identity. Um, I think, you know, I, I write a large bulk of the questions, but we've always sort of had like Steve and other people who have, have worked with us, you know, will sort of fill in blanks. Cause that's the thing, like we all have our hip hop blind spots and like even as similar as Steve and I may be in certain respects, he grew up in the West Coast. He's like five years older than me. I grew up, you know, on the East Coast and in Florida. And like, there are just certain things where I'll throw a reference to him or he'll throw a reference to me and we don't know what the other is talking about. And that's kind of been what's cool about having all these different people on the online version of the show. We're not really ever trying to hit anybody's blind spot when they come on the show. Mm -hmm. we, we, we sort of also realized early on that no one wants to tune in and watch their favorite rapper fail miserably. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> it, that might have a really short shelf life of enjoyment, but it's not really like, it doesn't really hold for a duration of a game. So there, it's just sort of figuring out what, figuring out what is in somebody's wheelhouse and figuring out what maybe is just like, they'd have to stretch and be in their wheelhouse and kind of hitting those when it comes to games where we have guests, you know? interesting so it's kind of like it's somewhat tailored to the person who's coming on which which makes it feel like we got set up a little bit no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey we threw a charisma question in there yeah, yeah no no we really That's we true. really appreciate that that was that was a softball softball uh, for the crew um what a now that we're in this new space you guys are kind of expanding in some interesting ways like what do you envision as as the next step because when i when i finally got to watching it um i'm kind of a luddite so ig live was a was a tough hurdle to get into but once i could i was like is this how the hot the what is it the hot wing show came came about like it kind of has <laughs> i'm just saying which is like a syndicated fucking show now so yeah, do, do right. you guys have those type of aspirations is this is this kind of where all that is going in your in your hope your highest hopes um i i think so i mean i think even from early on you know we always sort of like talked about the idea of how big can we get this whether it was you know going to be uh an event that toured or exploring like sort of developing it into uh maybe a longer form thing and and you know without saying too much we we definitely have started conversations and are sort of exploring that territory I think the tricky thing is just making sure that it still retains the spirit of what it is we're doing, you know? Mm. Um, like, 
that, that that's sort of the challenge, I suppose. You know, I'm. Uh, I'm sorry. Were you going to answer that, Steve? I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, go ahead. No. Oh, okay. I I just wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit, and just from from your guys' perspective, obviously you've had so many shows with all these wonderful guests. Which are your personal favorite ones? Like, you know, the shows where you guys walk away and you're like, that was a home run. That was super fun. And the person was engaged. Which, who is that for you guys? <laughs> well, the first one, the first one to us, which was messed up because it was early on. And I was actually watching it while I was trying to shop at like Target. And my connection was bad. But I think Kid <laughs> from Kid and Play was an early one. Oh, wow. And he... He's, I have a, my friend is good friends with him in LA. Like he comes to the dime sometimes, like he's ahead, you know mm. what I mean? So it was, it was, it was, uh, it, it was when we, when we asked him to be on, he was cool with it. He was, we tried to do it once and it, and it, and it didn't go through, but mm. um, that was the first show that like, I feel like he had the same energy and matched and was dropping stories we never heard of. And then you have Dante in the chat talking about the Latin Quarter. And I'm like, if this is us building a little community around this show and everyone's talking to each other. So I don't know, Sean could probably speak to some other ones too, but that was the first one I was like, all right, this isn't just like, hey, blah, blah, blah. You know, like right, we're, right. We're, we're bringing, we're, we're, we're offering a, a new voice in the hip hop, you know, sphere of, of nostalgia or, you know, talk really. Oh, dope. dope. Yeah, I think what we, I've never really said this uh, before. Well, I, I think that what we sort of realized was that it's not actually a game. It, it's really an interview mm -hmm. disguised as, as a trivia game for the first, really for the first three quarters. And then we, we, we go into that last round and then it becomes like really like, you know, high stakes, whatever. So I think it took us a minute to actually like realize that. But once we did, you know, I would, I would really love to have like who we had on our first week back again with that in mind. You know, we, mm. we launched the first week, we did five shows in a week, which we very rapidly wow. learned was not going to be <laughs> sustainable to do. <laughs> Even though that's kind of what we're looking to do now once we get Twitch up and running, but I guess maybe we're a little bit stronger now, but um, I think that the highlights, like, yeah, kid was definitely a good one. Um, it was really dope. We had M DJ Mr. C on the show. And it wasn't just cool to have him, but it was cool that he actually approached us about being on the show. He mm. came in when we had Master Ace on the show and he just happened to pop in. He was like, what is this? And he, <laughs> and he was, you know, like commenting in the chat, like, yo, this is awesome. I want to play. And like, he, you know, after the show, he followed us and, and we were DMing and I was like, well, like we're booked up, but like, can you do it in like two weeks? And he was like, ah, oh, I would really love to do it next Thursday on Biggie's birthday. And I was like, well, <laughs> then that's exactly what we're going to do. Like, I'm not going to tell Mr. C, like, ah, oh, sorry. Like, we already are doing three shows next week. So that was a really fun one. And that was a game. And we decided to make it a game that was all about Biggie. So it was like a yep. Biggie-centric game. And that was really cool. Um, the Dante Ross one was incredible, too, because Dante's such a cool dude. And, and he just talked forever. And we wound up, you know, you hit that hour limit on Instagram uh, and then you're done. Um, like it, it, you were not allowed to, you know, DJ longer or, or rather broadcast longer than that, unless, you know, you're D-Nice or Questlove. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, our hour ended and then we went right back and went another 40 minutes. The game was done at this point. Dante was just talking 
taking questions and like I honestly I cut it off at at like the hour thirty mark because I wanted to eat dinner. I think it would have went for another hour. Like, so it's really cool when you have people who are like engaged and willing to not just talk about themselves, even though we're totally down to talk about that. But I think this show really brings out like the fan in in everybody, and like that that's th- those usually are the better conversations. I think uh, you guys nobody are... wants to talk about themselves, right? um you guys heard you're great and we really appreciate this and we're kind of heading towards the wrap but i just have to say i think to dave and damone like it's amazing how much when you talk about what you're doing it sounds like what we're doing like oh, totally we have totally. We, we're, we're all nerds too <laughs> and like we have those little moments where we look at each other we're like oh shit this is really happening and it's my show like i i'm loving this moment you know what i mean it's so yeah. cool so um and dante is kind of a dream guest for us um, yeah also we we have that moment where it's like I really want to eat dinner right yes, now. Yes, so that totally, was the other totally, part. Totally, that's literally. You made a that. classic record, but fuck, man. It's, it's 7.30 West Coast, baby. We got to eat. Uh, it's, it's a real thing. Um, what are the uh, what are the dream guests? What do you, let's speak it to existence. We have kind of a, a short list of dream guests that we have for this program. For you guys, what are, what are the dream guests, the gets that you haven't gotten yet? Steve, go. <laughs> Well, I was going to lead into funny that you say, and then let you explain. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it, I, I'm almost hesitant to comment on things until they actually happen, but I think mm-hmm. by the time this airs, uh, we will have had Questlove on the show. Which, yeah, sick. Which was, you know, somebody that we really wanted to get. Um, what we in the industry call a very good get. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A very good get. Um <laughs> And uh, and he asked to be on the show too. That was, That's that was fucking like, cool, man. That's sick. That's, That's so sick. I'd love to get. Uh, I'd love to get somebody. I'd love to get like DJ Premier, or I'd love to get um, Just Blaze. Like I, I think that those yeah. guys would have yeah. great, great stories. Um, yeah, I, th- those are probably on my list. Steve, do you have anybody? <laughs> well, I, not specifically. I was just going to say, like, of course, the big gets and the people who have followings are the best for their brand and the growth. But, you know, like someone like E. Swift from the Alcoholics, I would love to, I'm nerdy like that. So it's, yeah. it's not like, you know, like the way we're hip hop fans, it's like we hold things dearly in all types of realms. And it's not just cause how popular it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, that would be a really dope guest to me or guys like that, like the unsung dudes who, yeah. who left an impact on the game, but, but no one is, trying to holler at or like get things out of, you know what right. I mean? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, 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 and new guests too. I think like Sean was saying earlier, like if like you guys hip us to a lot of dope new rappers and Koreatown I, Oddity. I, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. No, you guys, you guys talking about him. Uh, and then, and then when you guys had uh, Gary on the show and then, um, and I know you recently had him, but that record is like my record now. I've totally, to same. So much. Same. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. glad to do a little part just to shine a little bit of light on it. I think he is his own best promotional tool, though. He's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> what did he say? He was like, if you don't like my album, like you're trash. You're, you're basically trash. trash. <laughs> it's like we we're we're you know we're doing little audiogram things and it's like i'm I'm making my notes and i'm like well that's the audiogram like <laughs> right there. yes sir oh, that was great yeah 
Dude, you guys are killing it. This has been really cool to get to know you a little bit. And thank you so much for having us on and turning it into like an hour commercial for the show. And just like this, let's like Uh, keep keep building as we uh, as we grow our shows and just uh, really admire what you do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned community a little bit early, and we're very much big about that. And to like see you guys grow and thrive, it's so dope, man. We're, we're here oh, for we, it. We appreciate you guys, too. And we're big fans of what you're doing. And, you know, like just in the same way that you said, oh, like, you know, you, you see some of that, that, that basically we're kindred spirits, you know, like the, the same things that like you guys see, uh, you said you saw and what we're doing, we see and what you're doing. And it's really cool. So it's, right on. let's All keep right. building it. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, man. Maybe someday we'll uh, we'll make it down when there's if there's a society left to participate in. Uh, <laughs> we'll come down for a show. For sure, absolutely. We don't need it. Just follow if, us on Twitter. If there's any <laughs> venue, if there's any venues open to do things at, exactly. Right. Yeah, middle That's of right. a field like Dave Chappelle. All right. <laughs> you guys See take y'all care. In, in Thanks 2023. for uh, Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, I want to make sure folks know it's Mondays and Wednesdays um, on IG Live. What time? Uh, we're Mondays and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, it's at The Questions Hip Hop on Instagram. Um, we are on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash The Questions Hip Hop. Those are the ones that matter. Yeah, check us out. Cool. Awesome. Thank you guys for coming out on Twitch. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks. Appreciate well. you. Peace, guys. Peace. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our conversation with the super chill combo, Steve Wonder, Sean from Questions Hip Hop. We want to thank them for coming on and we want another shot at the game to redeem I, ourselves. I, I want you to take another shot at uh, saying Sean's last name. <laughs> <laughs> That's the final boss uh, question for those guys. I know. I was like, you don't have a hip hop name? Like, I was. <laughs> I was fishing for it. I was like, Sean. Crick- so he, on on uh, online, he goes by like Sean. Damn it, that's his. That's okay, his handle that's all I was going for. He was like, no, man. Say Sean my name. Sean Kantrowitz. I believe. Sean Kantrowitz. I apologize for butchering your name. We appreciate them for coming on. Really feel like they're going places with the program. Uh, check them out Mondays and Wednesdays, IG Live. I believe it's six p.m. PST. Um, up next on this triple header of LA-ness, we have Felicia Viator. Uh, her book, To Live and Defy in LA, is out now, and she dropped uh, a great many gems on us. So here's that interview. Bod Rap Pod, another week, another interview, another great guest. Commenters and shapers of culture are always at home here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. And today, in the Temple of Zoom, we have Felicia Viator, who just uh, put out a book called To Live and Defy in LA, How Gangster Rap Changed America Out Now on Harvard University Press. Felicia, how's it going? It's good, it's good, thank you. Yeah, excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, so, so you had the distinct pleasure of putting out a book at the end of the world. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I know you had, you had a, a release scheduled and, and the book is finally out now, correct? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it came out in February, actually. So it's been a journey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it definitely has to be tough. But in light of everything that's happened in America and the wake of the uprisings and such, um, this book is definitely more relevant than ever taking a look at uh, not only the rise of, of gangster rap, but um, kind of how that uh, impacted LA politics, culture, the black community, policing, etc. We've said on this show a bunch of times that uh, in terms of like anti-police screeds, hip hop was way, 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 way ahead. And I know in your book, you, you talk about, um, you definitely talk about NWA, but could you, could you just speak a little bit about kind of how the, the, the topics and the things that we're dealing with now are almost kind of old hat, especially when we're talking about LA gangster rap. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it felt relevant when I finished it because I finished it around the end of the Obama presidency. Mm. Um, so, right, that's like the moment when Black Lives Matter. Ferguson, is really yeah. Blocking. Yeah, yeah. And it's also when um, it, when white nationalism is really, um, coming out in force, right? So like it felt relevant then because like LA in the 1980s, um, that that period when we associate with, you know, um, Reagan saying that, you know, okay, now we have a colorless society and everybody um, has equal opportunity to achieve. And, and folks like really bought into that and that what was happening in LA really refuted that mm -hmm. uh, mythology. And so it, there was a weird way in which when I was finishing the book, it felt um, like, folks were starting to see um, the mythologies of the Obama era and that mm. sort of like this like post-racial era um, play out in the way that um, uh, the way that these police shootings were um, becoming such big news and, and, and Black Lives Matter really pointing to, um, um, to that being a, a pure mythology. So yeah, um, it, you know, <laughs> LA in a way, um, and I'm not the first historian to say this, but there's, there's a way that Los Angeles um, is such a fascinating city to study because it's like, it's like the most American city in the sense mm -hmm. that it's like where everybody goes to achieve their dream. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately it's, it's this mixed bag that people have to grapple with. Um, and I think that that's especially true for black migrants who go to LA. And that's what, that, you know, the book starts with that story of um, uh, early Black migration to L.A. Um, and how folks have these ideas of what they would find there and ultimately um, uh, are really frustrated with the fact that there's so much racism and so much, um, uh, uh, you know, so many obstacles to achieving, um, you know, those, those dreams of, of the California dream. <laughs> um, so it's an interesting... Uh, I found it to be like a, an interesting way to um, just get a snapshot of the frustrations that we're seeing now in terms of, you know, what America is supposed to represent and ultimately, uh, you know, the, the hypocrisy sort of um, that the American dream um, represents. Yeah. Well, um, I would like to go back a little bit. I want to, I was hoping you could tell people about your past as a DJ and um, how that perhaps informed um, how you ended up writing this book, which is music centric, but not a music book per se. Mm. Um, there, it's a, there's a lot of other threads there, but um, if you could just give people a little glimpse of your former life and uh, how it maybe informs your current work. Yeah. Um... 
So I, I mean, yeah, I started DJing in the late 1990s. Um, I was a mobile DJ for a few years uh, from about like 97 till 99. And then I moved into the clubs. Um, and, you know, it, it inf I, I grew up in the Bay, was born and raised in the Bay, and so um, was really influenced by the Bay Area hip hop scene. And so when I became a DJ um, and one of the first women in the Bay to be a DJ, um, you know, it just, it gave me some perspective on DJ culture, on like the economy of the par party culture, it gave me some perspective on things like um, uh, party promotion and club promotion. So a lot of the stuff in the book about the mobile DJ scene in LA, and um, sort of like the economy of like mixtapes and street tapes um, that I, I had some insight into that before I started the book. Um, yeah, and then I read a lot about hip hop um, and was just like really underwhelmed by what I was reading. Mm -hmm. I just didn't find like there was much in the hip hop literature that was, you know, even like after um, some of the stuff in the mid aughts, like I just didn't feel like there was enough literature that was really getting at hip-hop history uh, or hi getting at sort of the subject of hip-hop from the perspective of history that was really kind of helping us understand um, the context in which these genres um, were uh, you know sort of blossoming um, especially LA like there was just not a lot that really explained why LA rap ultimately crosses over and sort of smothers pop music, you know, why it wasn't New York that did that and why ultimately LA does that in the 1990s. So um, when I went to grad school, I just um, wanted to ask some questions and investigate that. And ultimately, you know, the, the, those questions turned into a dissertation. The dissertation turned into a book. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't say it like this, but as someone who partied in San Francisco in the late 90s and early 2000s, DJ Netta was out there. Like you're a very good DJ and just, I just want people who may be listening to this and hearing your voice for the first time to know you're the real deal. So um, I'll let oh, Dave thank you. question though. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's a well, long time ago. Well, you know, um, on topic of DJs and, you know, like to, to your point earlier, I mean, this certainly is a book about music, but it's, it's, to me, it's a history book, you know, it contextualizes so much. And um, you know, what I found, fascinating was the the little segment on uh, DJ Alonzo Williams. Um, could you, for people who don't know, just sort of speak on him and sort of contextualize um, what he did and the efforts that he did and how that added to the book and the movement that you laid out there? Yeah, I mean, I, so he's, he plays a small role in the book. Um, his role in how the the sort of larger landscape of LA rap in the in the 80s develops, especially the way the mobile DJ scene kind of um, migrates to the clubs. Uh, mm -hmm. He's he's central to that. I mean, the fact that like he was um, helping establish um, the club scene at Eve After Dark, um, and that that becomes like a really important format for for folks to get on stage and to get themselves known and to sort of build a crowd and build a local build you know local fame, no, local notoriety. Um, and he, you know, his role, I think, is important in, in terms of understanding that there was something pretty insular happening in L.A. during that period um, that, uh, you know, if you if you look at a, a club like the radio, for instance, which a lot of hip hop historians are really fascinated with because um, because it's 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 you know, it, it, it features heavily in that in that um, documentary, Breaking and Entering. 
Mm -hmm. um, and it's like this really diverse place. There are graffiti backdrops. There are like b-boys on stage. Um, of course, Ice T is rapping. If you if you're looking at that club and you're saying you're you're hoping to get a snapshot of the LA rap scene, then you're missing a lot. You're really not seeing what's happening um, in the Uncle Jam's Army parties, right? Mm, You're not really right. seeing what's happening at Eve After Dark, um, which is really a different aesthetic. It's a different vibe. Um, it's predominantly black, which is not the scene that you're seeing at the radio, which is like a lot of like white kids coming in from, from like outside LA, a lot of like industry moguls who are coming in there to find talent. But the what Alonzo was doing, what you know, um, what Uncle Jam's Army was doing, Roger Clayton, they were really putting together something that was for um, predominantly uh, black kids in in places like South Central and Compton, and and also folks coming in from Long Beach. That was not intended to sort of speak to like industry A and R's. Mm -hmm. Like it was really supposed to be for them, um, which I've which is important to understand because this is where gangster rap comes from. Like gangster rap is ultimately this music that was created for LA. Um, it was not created for anyone outside of that sphere. And that's what crosses over. So like mm. the, you know, the, the kind of larger argument of the book is like, we should really be surprised mm. that that ultimately is what crosses over and what dominates what kind of like, um, reverse colonizes pop music by the 1990s. Mm. Something that was made specifically for LA fans. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. So in this book, you really, um, you really do have this uh, kind of race analysis that you're you're laying on on hip hop history, and I'm I'm wondering for you yourself as a woman who was in the in the Bay Area DJ scene, who is engaging with gangster rap as in many ways as I did, uh, how, how do you kind of reconcile the tension there? I listened to Ice Cube's You Can't Fade Me the other day, mm -hmm. and I was like, I used to love this song. Yeah. And, and, as, and as a 40-something-year-old man who's going on his own, you know, uh, learning about feminism, I go, this might be the worst song of all time. <laughs> like, so how do you, you know, I know in your research and in you as a fan, wow. how, 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 do you, how do you reconcile kind of that, that tension between what gangster rap has represented in a lot of ways and, and your own sense of gender. So do you mean like the gangster aesthetic or do you mean misogyny or both or? Well, I, I guess I would say both because I see misogyny as, sure. as part and parcel of that aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, so let me see if I can kind of combine the two because so I get a lot of questions about what gangster means, right? So like, sure. I mean, I think there are ways that we, that we mythologize gangster. We think about gangster in these kind of caricature ways. Um, when I was writing the book and a lot, and a lot of the ways that I tried to think about gangster, cause I'm a historian, cause I, you know, I'm a historian of pop culture. So I, you know, I think about gangster as like being the 20th century version of the outlaw. Sure. And gangster, like, if you think about gangster, um, the history of the gangster image in like mm -hmm. cinema, for instance, like in the 1930s, right? That, that you're looking at um, this old idea that is very American sure. of somebody who doesn't have traditional power, who doesn't have traditional forms of power, and then 
um, and does not have access to normal pathways to success, right? So it's somebody who's powerless, who is trying to gain money, power, respect, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the trifecta, mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to gain it by any means necessary. And um, so skirting laws, uh, sure. you know, skirting those traditional pathways. And so, so I, I think the way that I can reconcile some of the, the um, problematic caricatures, let's say, um, within the music is that I'm thinking about gangster in terms of um, an identity that is like not limited to the gun toting, um, you know, drug dealing kid, gangbanger, mm -hmm. but it's like something much bigger and that is, is about working outside the law to survive. And that if you think about gangster in that way, then, um, then not only do you kind of understand gangster rap um, in that larger history, that, that longer context, but I think it's also a way of understanding why women would be into the music. I mean, I, the, the conversation about misogyny is, is often about like trying to parse out, right? Like parse out how rappers deal with women in the music, like you know, how they talk about their mothers versus how they talk about, you know, right. their girlfriends or how they talk about quote unquote hoes or whatever. Um, so there's like ways in which the criticisms cite depictions of women, the like sexualization, ob objectification of women. But um, the, for me, I mean, I was into the music and like, I've talked to a lot of women through this process who were into the music and like, I think it comes down to power and not just power as represented by the rappers themselves, but also about, you know, um, women loving the music in part because of like the hero, the heroism in the gangster, the heroism in somebody mm. who doesn't have power, who is seeking power by any means necessary because women don't have power either. Like mm. women are trying to, to, um, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out a way to gain power and respect in their own ways to, to navigate the system. And so there's, I think if you think about gangster in that way, then some of the other pieces fall into place, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's tough. I do deal with misogyny in the book. I talk about sure. um, misogyny in NWA's music. I talk about like Dre's assault on D Barnes. Right. Um, yeah, so it's in there. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> Right. Very, very, very complicated. I, I love, though, this this framing around um, heroism for the traditionally powerless. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's really interesting because I feel like part of the, the energy of that music, and especially at the time of NWA coming into power, um, was to put down women. That was one of the one of the key components, but I like how you're, you're pulling it back and saying this, it is an American trope. Cause I get mad when people kind of pigeonhole like gangster rap invented misogyny. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, right. it's definitely it's always been there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's also, it's also, a, um, it's an artistic device, right? So they're, they know that, I mean, they're so sophisticated, which is, I think the other big, case I'm making in the book is that they, I mean, Easy e is such a brilliant promoter. He really mm -hmm. knows how to leverage controversy. And so, you know, part of what they're doing is they're looking at culture around them. They're looking at popular film. They're looking at comedy. They're looking at reality TV and tabloid TV. 
and they're they're doing their own spin on that because they know sure. that it's going to draw attention to the art and that they're going to you know they're if you know if they create a record like fuck the police then folks are going to be paying attention to them because they're creating controversy and they've already got it they, you know um they've already sort of made um laid laid the foundation for for folks thinking like well these guys are scary let's let's like pay close attention um yeah so it's a device too for 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 getting the spotlight. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that song up in particular because I wanted to ask you about your Washington Post op-ed yeah. on Fuck the Police and it's kind of current resonance or perhaps not as current, but um, it, how it was resonating through society when we were having massive protests. And actually, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know who's protesting and who's not anymore because the news isn't covering it. So I guess yeah. it is a current protest movement, but I thought the point that you made when it came out that this word is considered so filthy that you can't even say it in the newspaper you're writing in it about was well taken. But um, the question that I wanted to ask you to kind of expand upon is um, why is that song so relevant? How does it capture this moment still when it's such an old song? And do you have a candidate for a current song that is encapsul in encapsulating a similar feeling? Or do we have to look to the past for our protest anthems? I mean, I don't think we have to look to the past. I think we shouldn't look to the past all the time. Uh, I mean, I think, especially in hip hop, it's important to recognize how dynamic the music is and how much it changes. And, you know, part of what I wanted to make clear in that article, I mean, it's the Washington Post, right? So I'm, so the audience is um, broad. <laughs> um, and I wanted folks to understand that history, but I also wanted to make sure that folks recognize that, you know, Migos, for instance, was doing, is doing something now. Um, like, you know, fuck 12 is a much, bigger and more prominent phrase in the protests yeah. now than fuck the police. And I think that that matters, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and like um, FTP, um, not a reference to NWA, but a reference to YG is also like super prominent. Um, and of course he put out a video, uh, you know, shortly after the, the protest started taking off, YG did. Um, I mean, I think it, it isn't, it was an anthem of the 92 uprising, the LA uprising. Um, and I think that uprising still resonates, um, especially, I mean, I tried to think like, I, you know, I, I've taught the riots recently and been like, oh shit, like my students were not born. <laughs> born <laughs> like a lot yeah. of them don't even remember 9-11. And I'm like, oh, okay. So like, how do I, why does this still resonate? Like, why is this still, you know, why does NWA and fuck the police still resonate? If like, you know, if, if a lot of the kids who are protesting now, a lot of the young folks protesting now were like not even, they, you know, they weren't even around, they weren't born yet. Um, but I, you know, maybe the Straight Outta Compton film in 2015 helped resurrect their legacy. I mean, they, you know, that, that film was huge. And I, you know, and Kendrick Lamar's like participation, the promotion for that, I think helped. Um, I think, you know, Kendrick and his career has helped, you know, keep that legacy of NWA alive. Um, I mean, Dre's very underrated recent album, Compton, <laughs> which is such a, a fantastic record. Um, 
I mean, I think there are ways that the, the artists themselves and people associated with the artists have kept that legacy alive. Um, but I don't know. I mean, fuck the police is just like the perfect, <laughs> build a perfect phrase for this moment. Um, and I don't mean that tongue in, cheek, tongue in cheek, like I really, it, it really still, um, it works. It works in banners, it works in graffiti, it works in, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in the way that folks are, you know, it works as a chant, so. Mm. Uh, some some of those some of those phrases just they they stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> Felicia, um, my next question it was it's just basically out of curiosity for you and your work and um, the process. Um, how did you link up with University of Harvard Press and sort of just for the uh, you know aspiring writers out there? What was the proposal process like? And also, was there anything that you left out that you kind of wanted to be kept in there? Um, so I will say that any aspiring author, like you just, you, um, you have to, you, you have to take a risk. I mean, I pitched to Harvard on a whim. Nice. Um, I had no fear cause I was just ignorant of the process. I think if I kind of knew, if I nice. knew what, um, the process was really like, I would have been terrified and probably wouldn't have pitched. Um, <laughs> I, I pitched for practice, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just lucky because the editor, this guy, Andrew Kinney at Harvard, um, he was a hip hop head. I didn't know mm. him, but he was like, um, he kind of tested my knowledge, which was interesting. Like, as a woman, I was, you know, as a woman in, in the hip hop scene in the Bay and having been a DJ, like, I was used to guys testing my knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and he like wanted to know if I knew who DJ Quick was. <laughs> so I was sir, like, okay. sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's fired. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Um, but like, so he, he was just very encouraging. And I, um, I don't know. I just, I just had no fear. Um, and that's, and which is not characteristic of me. I have a lot of fear, um, <laughs> but it, you know, I, I just really thought that there was a place, um, in the market for this book, mm -hmm. especially because, um, I felt like the genre of hip hop scholarship was getting a bad rap, no pun intended, <laughs> um, in the sense that like, it's kind of an echo chamber. Like a lot of hip hop scholarship was like written for other um, academics, you know, and like a lot of theory, a lot of jargon. And with the exception of a couple of books like Jeff Chang's book, which I mean, he's yeah. got, he's a right. you know journalist by trade. So like his writing is great. I just thought that like there was room for a book about the history of hip hop that was, you know, that felt like stories that were entertaining um, mm -hmm. and that like mm -hmm. resonated. Um, so it, yeah, that, and he bought it, <laughs> um, and felt like there was a space for it. And Harvard was great because, um, it's an academic press, but they do like, they do general trade book type stuff. So mm. they really wanted to pitch it to a general audience. Um, and that's what we've been doing is, is trying to, um, get some general audience attention pitch it like broadly mm -hmm. yeah yeah awesome thank you that's a lot of insight and I think um it's really helpful for any aspiring writer really sometimes you can just you just got to go for it you know yeah so to, yeah, so to see you go through the process and have all this wonderful success that's great thank you
Yeah. And I have to say, it, it sounds prestigious. It's like, that's like a cool <laughs> yeah. notch on <the> resume. <laughs> totally. It's like an honorary doctorate or something. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Felicia, we're so privileged to have you come on the program. Thank you for, uh, for sharing your thoughts with us. We'd love to have you back on the program. We want to let everyone know that your book, to Live and Defy in L.A., How Gangster Rap Changed America is out right now on Harvard Press. I think Harvard's lucky to have you. Fuck Harvard. Um, <laughs> they're lucky to have you. I never bought a book off Harvard Press, but this one is definitely dope. I've read some excerpts. So thank you for coming on the program, and we just appreciate yeah. you sharing your time. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the conversation. All right. Awesome. Take care. Be well. Dad bod, rap pod. That was our conversation with Felicia Viator. Her book, To Live and Defy in LA, is out now. We want to thank her for coming on. Nate, you have an interesting story of how you connected with her long before we even had a podcast, right? Yeah, it's not It's not like a great story. It's just like I feel like I should mention it. Like um, I've been in her house because I bought her and her husband, Ross Hogg's record collection when I still worked at the record store. So... Um, I used to spend a lot of time on message boards, as did Ross at that time. So I made a connection with him, and who I actually kind of knew through. We have a lot of mutual friends in the Bay Area DJ game. Um, but yeah, they had this really cool house in San Francisco, and they had this like kind of like a, a very DJ e collection. Like they were yeah. kind of moving out of their DJ life and into their having kids life, and they had like this kind of like unfinished basement. So I just had this cool day with my buddy Jeff where we stopped at this really good deli and got good sandwiches. And then we went and bought all these records and it was really cool to chop it up with Ross. I didn't want to make the interview about him at all because she has her own accomplishments. And I really wanted right. to talk to her about her great book that I enjoyed reading a lot, but it was just, it was just weird. I was just like, Oh, of, of our guests, I haven't been in that many of their houses. Um, That's so true. Just wanted to mention that. So yeah, they're, they're really, really cool folks and they, they have a really cool family and like, um, I'm just like, I'm, they're just rad people. So just thought I'd mention it. That's awesome. Uh, we're so pleased to have her on the program, continuing the streak of women being great interviews um, yes. on this program. So we, we thank her. Streak. <laughs> Thank her for her time. And up next, because that would be a whole ass episode if we wanted it to be. That would be a whole ass episode. But up next, we have a man who is both walrus and bear um, and one of the more iconic voices uh, in West Coast hip hop history, Mr. AWOL1, uh, who was kind enough to nerd out with us. We're big fans. And so here is our conversation with AWOL1. Bod Rap Pod, another episode, another dope interview in Zoom right now. We have AWOL1, also known as A Walrus. Uh, you might know him from his work with Shapeshifters, work with Daddy Kev. Uh, if you're a West Coaster, you definitely know. We want to welcome you to the program, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Yeah. So 
you've been around for a long, long, long time uh, with some of uh, LA's most uh, notable rap crews. Can you just tell us kind of a little bit about like, how'd you get started? When'd you first start knowing rap was gonna be your life trajectory? Um, I think it kind of maybe the origins of Oliver was like, when I was around 16-ish, I would DJ a lot of backyard parties. And, um, you know, I was, I was, you know, just, just being, just being in the party scene and just DJing mostly. And then it kind of just turned into me rapping because everybody would be drunk at the parties or whatever and, and grabbing the mic from my turntables. And then, so I just ended up, you know, I, I was always in the mix too. So eventually I was just like, I didn't like this shit that I heard, so I started making my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. That's dope. And kind of what what was the, uh, when was the first time you really felt like you were on? Like, when you were like, I'm, I'm really out here, I'm really doing this. I, I would say there's, there's like certain points where I just feel everything came together, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then there's times where I'm like, man, you know, I, I should have been uh, fill in the blank, you know. <laughs> but that's kind of why I always fell back on screen printing and uh, graphic design. Design, that's right. Right, yeah. right. But um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been points where I'm, I'm I feel like it's life is life is a dream. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey man, I um, I want to just touch briefly a little bit on Planet of the Shapes. Um. What, you know, what do you remember about making that? I mean, that was 1998, I believe. Um, you know, what were you doing around? Like, what, what, was, what was that time and place in your life like when, you know, the indie rap boom started to creep in? And then how did that lead to the album? And talk about the making of the album a little bit. Um, at that time, I was going to this one graph yard. It was in East LA. And I remember going down there because Mir was painting. And um, so that's kind of like when I met Circus. Mm. And, and at the yard, uh, we ended up getting chased, to make a long story short. And then me and Circus <laughs> ended up exchanging numbers. And um, he kind of already had Planet of the Shapes. Um, he kind of already had it like in the baby stages. Mm. So it was already kind of like a thing that he's like, yo, check out this music that I've been making. You know what I mean? So then... At that point, I think we all kind of dived in and then turned it into something. You know okay. Because I mean? okay. it was kind of like all over the place. It, it, it had stuff, but it wasn't really cohesive. It was just a lot of like, just a lot of like little sections of shit. You know mm. what I'm saying? And then, mm. So then around that time, I'm trying to think of... Uh, that was that was like right before beneath the surface, I guess. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay, word. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you. Um, we we touched earlier about like how long and prolific your career has been. I mean, you've worked with so many dudes. You know, Mike and Nine, Abstract, Rude, Slug, Bus Driver, dudes from LA Symphony, like all of it. Um, you know, of all your collabs, of all the celebrated collabs, which one sort of stands out? Where you're like, when it was kind of like a a pinch yourself moment like I can't believe I'm here right now um well like a lot of those a lot of those collabs 
share they have little stories attached to them because sure in those days we didn't do we didn't fly verses over the internet mm-hmm. so we had to be there together it was a shared experience you know we we're all in the same room mm-hmm. we're all bouncing shit off each other and um so you know the i think it kind of um maybe the older songs mean a little bit more uh, just because of the process Okay, okay. Were, were there any of those collaborators that stood out or like a funny story or just, you know, something with any of those characters you worked with? Um, I think maybe the first one that we did with Slug was pretty interesting because they had flew us out to open for atmosphere and, uh, and it was really cold and, you know, we were coming from out <laughs> here where everything's fucking hot. And... Uh, we, we, we played the show the one day and it was it was banging and then the next day, you know, uh, the homie Chief Cologne, he invited me, Circus and Slug to his pad. And I remember that night it was like fucking snowing. I think we recorded it like on a four track. Uh, I, I think we were just still still on something from the night before. So it was, it was kind of like he was like after we recorded it, like, did we just record a cut? You know, and then, and then <laughs> actually from there we became friends. You know, I've, I've actually like you know known that cat for well over twenty years now. Dope, so, dope. That's yeah. super. That's super dope. Um, I I just this is fan me right now. I just want to talk a little bit about uh, sold out your uh your collaboration album with with Daddy Kev, um. How how did that come about? Like, how did you you kind of clicked in? I think his production and your your unique voice really vibe together. How did that work? Did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? And like, what what was that process like? Um, at that time, I knew I knew like Supernat and Hive, and they would go to this place with Celestial, and um, so me going to visit Hive, I met Kev. And Kev was like, hey, you want to jump on my record? I think he's working on Lost Angels. And uh, so I jumped on that. And then I had already had um, that single ready with, uh, with Cool Keith and Nardone. Okay. And uh, so, so Daddy Kev was like, let me put this album out. And then it just, in those days, people were buying a lot of vinyls. So we like threw 10,000 vinyls right out the gate. We like sold wow. out a week. Wow. And, and so then Kev's like, yo, man, let's make a, a whole record. And he had just moved in this apartment. And uh, so I was going to his apartment like once a week. And we were doing like a song a week. And when I would go there, you'd be like, hey, I mixed the one from last week. And then uh, I remember Rhythm was like, I think that was like one of the last cuts that we did. Mm. And uh, mm. I just went yeah, we in his living room and you know, it's it was nothing fancy. <laughs> cool, man. Um, if we could continue down the road of uh, various projects, I just wanted to say, like, um, I'm a big fan of yours, and like, your music was really important to me, especially when I was in college. Um, just been a minute now, but um, uh, I just I've always found that your uh, specific uh, like way with words and your kind of misanthropic uh, like. I, I don't I don't want to use the term depressive. I don't want to edge into uh, you know um, 
clinical territory, but it really spoke to me. And I have a couple, if you don't mind kind of doing like lightning round, like if I tell you a song, you tell me if there's anything you remember about it or if there's any little kind of like tales of it. I think there's four here because you just kind of okay. covered rhythm, which like, I love that song. I love that record. I love the 12 inch. I love the art. Like it's fucking incredible. Um, so let's start with the Nardone 12 inch. Um, if you don't mind telling me anything about like sleeping all day, which like this was like a personal anthem for me. Like this is like some play it at my funeral shit for me. It's just, I love this song so much. So, um, actually, that record was supposed to be on Grand Royal. Um, Whoa. Crazy. It, there is a flyer that's circulating out there that has that record on there. Because they had this thing called the Blow Up Factor series. I think they did one with Mr. Lift as well. Uh, ATU as well, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 absolutely. So, we, we recorded that for Grand Royal. And the prunes, I think. Sorry, I'm like interrupting. Oh, yeah. And then at that time, I think they had Luscious Jackson. And uh, there, there was a couple other. Yeah. But Volume 10 was on that song. And uh, between Nardone and Volume 10, there was like a little bit of disagreement. So we took 10 off and we put on 2MEX. And after all of that, I don't think that um, they were doing the, the series anymore because um, – Grand Royal was starting to kind of like do other shit. So we had this, we had this record. And then, um, so that's, you know, we, we presented it to, to Kev and uh, Celestial. Nice. So. Uh, yeah, great artwork on that one too. Like you're, you have a, a knack for like, it's, it's a full product. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like a black jacket thing, which was so big during the indie boom back then. Um, okay, this one might be a little bit obscure, but I'm like obsessed with this song. It's on the Fat Jack Cater to the DJ album, okay. and it's called For Me. Okay. Do you remember recording that one? Or like, for me, it's one of your more upbeat songs. And I think it actually is, a, it's, it's a little bit of a rhythm switch up for you. But do you remember anything about that one? Yeah, Fat Jack was recording at his house at that time. He built like a studio and he lived with Ab and... Um, so when he was doing that, it was kind of like a rotating tour. Whoever was chilling out would get in the room and record some shit. And then um, I think that day, for some reason, I think it was cold because Ab had the the oven on and he had like he had like <laughs> by the oven and he was like writing some shit by the thing. And, and at those times, you know, we we would drink and smoke a lot, you know. And, uh, so yeah, I really don't remember how that song came about, <laughs> but I think it started like as a joke, a couple, a couple of fucking jokes, and then you write them down, and then, then you just keep going, like building off of, almost like an inside joke that somebody eventually kind of gets, you know? They're like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, it it does sound off the cuff like if it, it sounds like it was written in the moment okay i got it i have a new I would say 90 percent of my stuff is recorded with one take and it's and it's written on the fly yeah nice that's good to know okay here's a new one um you have a song on a compilation from a buddy of mine uh jonah who has the weird rap um thing and yes, yes, you have a song called boil my skull on there and i want to set it up for the listener a little bit and maybe i'll edit in a snip a snippet if i'm not feeling lazy on wednesday but uh this song for people who haven't heard it before and you guys should go check out the weird rap compilation uh does not consist of words it is what i would call post text or some people might describe as just making noises or scatting um how did you end up 
going there and I've always wanted to hear a song like this and I just I would love to hear how you got to this. <laughs> um it was I had the hook and I had a rap actually that I had written and I kind of spit the rap and it wasn't it wasn't tight enough so I took the rap out I left the hook and then I freestyled like this little like scat thing and we we were playing it back and we were all laughing so fucking hard. <laughs> That, and then some of the homies were like, I don't know, this might be the most genius shit I've ever done. <laughs> and I was like, it might be, it might be the opposite. So, so we, I, I kind of sat on it for a couple of days and then I was just like, you know what? It is what it is. So I, I was happy with it. That's dope, man. I love that. Okay, last yeah. one and then I'll, I'll take you off the hot seat and I'm loving these stories. But um, I'm obsessed with the Beneath the Surface compilation. I always have been. I did this big story on hymnal and his track on there. And I talked to Omid and I might do a thing on it someday. So maybe I'll reach back out if I ever do like the oral history of Beneath the Surface, which is on my whiteboard of projects I'm never gonna write. I recently but... seen Omid uh, a few months ago and I hadn't seen him in probably about a decade, man. So... Oh, wow, yeah. I found him to be a very nice guy. And like, uh, I found out uh, for that hymnal track and not to get too far into it. And I do have a question. I promise that he built the music around the lyrics. And I'm always fascinated by when people do that. But the one I wanted to ask you about is probably one of the weirdest rap songs in history, the farmer's market of the beast. Mm. Mm. Can you tell the people kind of, so let, let me set with just one more sentence to set it up. Every, everyone does their verse from the, perspective of a different animal, animal yeah. and I, I actually can't remember in this moment who you are in it do you remember i that night i was a little fucked up so i introduced <laughs> myself as a walrus but i actually rapped as a bear so it doesn't okay <laughs> okay fair enough this is why after 20 years of listening to it i can't remember what yeah, it was. i think i said walrus at the beginning but then all of my shit is like bear metaphors or something <laughs> shape-shifting that's what I mean. That's nice. what it is. You know? yes. Hey, there you go. Exactly. I did it on purpose. Nice. Thank, thanks for the trip down memory road, and thanks for all the music. And like, oh, yeah. sure, man. Yeah, awesome. I mean, that night was fun. I think we were up in somebody's loft, and we are just, you know, once again, just kind of started as like a lighthearted idea that manifested into something. You know what I mean? Just yeah. great great music but you're you're also a, a visual artist you're also doing right. a lot of graphic design uh can you talk a little bit about like that like holding both those perspectives of of being a rapper and a visual artist as well yeah man um well originally i i had started to go to college for graphic design and uh my first year of college i got offered a tour and uh so i quit going to school to to do music but you know, I always had that that little base. And then, so whenever things would get, you know, whenever I would be home, because I used to be on the road a lot. And when I would be home, that's when I would concentrate on my graphics and my printing. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the first person who like printed our shapeshifter shirts was uh, Slash's brother. And uh, he has this company called Conart. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so. I, after that, I was just kind of like hooked. I wanted to make shirts and print on all kinds of shit. So I was, I started like designing like stickers and shit for the dudes at Project Bloat and, you know, uh, just, just do, you know. So yeah, I've always just kind of had like, that's always been my two things, you know, graphics and printing and, uh, and, and music stuff. 
That's you know, you, me you mentioned a little bit of um, Project Blowed. Can you talk a little bit about sort of just being there, you know, while everything was popping off and being, um, you know, just um, just being really into it and being in, and gravitating towards it? Um, how, how did that how did that, you know, pop off over there? And, and what was it like being there? Um, yeah, I mean, the first night of Project Blowed, Mike D was there. Uh, I think he was kind of scouting some like LA talent or whatever. Mm. And I remember people were super hyped on it because you you could cuss like at the good light. You couldn't, you couldn't cuss. cuss, right? Yeah, you know they they would throw your tape at you or fucking turn your mic off or like whatever fish, whatever mood he was in. You know what I mean? Or he would jump a battle with somebody. But people were hyped on blow because. Um, you could cuss, and I think it was actually started at somebody's birthday party. Mm. So, yeah, so um, I wasn't there every Thursday, but I was there, you know, I would say at least 70% of the time. And um, it was just, it was a way to um, interact with people. You know, you didn't have the internet, so, right. you know, cats couldn't battle each other on the thing, so you had to go there. And it was slightly scary because nobody wanted to lose battle. So mm -hmm. battle either ended up in you either made a new enemy or you got your ass kicked or, you know, <laughs> it, it was some different shit back then. Man. I mean, it definitely was, I mean, I, I think now it's, it's funner and it's easier for, to take your family somewhere and like, you know, kind of be part of that hip hop thing. But I think that there was definitely like an element of, you 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 kind of had to have some balls to hang out. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, just to sort of bring it full circle. I mean, we mentioned Planet of the Shapes earlier. Um, how often do you listen to like the recordings that you've made that are like 20 years old? And if you do, like, how do how do they sit with you? There's certain songs I'm definitely proud of. There's definitely shit that like makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I wish I could wipe it off the face of <laughs> <laughs> that could be my superpower I could I would be able to wipe the shit off these things I fuck flying and all that man I don't want to be racing shit <laughs> for the most part you know I'm it's it's like a bad photo you know like you're like I was here at Niagara Falls but you know I'm 40 pounds overweight yeah <laughs> that's a great oh, man, that's great you know? <laughs> yeah. When you look back at your catalog, I mean, so uh, so no, so we're not talking about the overweight Niagara Falls pictures. Like, which ones or like which tracks of yours are you most proud of? Well, I'm I'm definitely proud of. I would say everything that I've done. There's definitely some stuff that I'm I hold close to my heart. So I I don't really have much that I regret. You know. Mm. Word, word. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, awesome. you know, do you guys make music as well? Only yeah, demand. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So you know how it is, man. You know, you mm -hmm. just keep going and some stuff sticks and some stuff, you know, you just... Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always try to pretend like nobody's paying attention anyway. Right. Right. You know yeah, what? That's, that, that's, that's kind of how I base all that shit. I'm like, if I start overthinking it, I'm like, nobody fucking really gives a fuck. So. <laughs> Which know? eighty percent of the time is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's dope, man. Well, we want to thank you for for sharing the time, man. Uh, thank you. Like we said, we're we're thank we're big fans of the work. 
Um, and yeah, man, just uh, keep doing your thing, man. We appreciate appreciate the time. Uh, can I plug something coming up? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, word up. Yeah, yeah, definitely no problem. Um, and next month I'm dropping uh, an EP that's produced by Pigeon Chunk. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's already finished. We're mixing it. I'm I'm super proud of it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, man. Uh, I, and then his new album. I don't know if you guys heard it yet, but that shit. We have not. Top notch, shit, man. Nice. Okay. Keep an ear out for that. Dope, okay. Y'all, y'all got a name for the project? Yeah, it's called Can't Handle Us. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Pretty That's melodic. It's on, it's on that melodic shit, man. So. That's dope, man. All right. AWOL1, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Appreciate you. Thanks, Tony. Peace. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Peace, Peace, man. Thank you. Dad bod rap pod. That was our conversation with AWOL1, who sounds like AWOL1, who talks like AWOL1. And we're very, very fortunate to have him on the program, man. That was fun. Was it not? That was super fun, man. That was super fun. Awesome. So um, what's going on, guys? This is the end of the program. This is the time for the shameless uh, plug section of the program. Um, Dave, you got any um, big name droppy interviews that make us <laughs> that make us secretly hate you uh, coming up? Uh, you know, just um, just kind of um, continuing a few things I've been working on. But I did just sign up to um, work and do some research on the on an upcoming Donny Hathaway liner note project. Um, it's going to okay. be um, a big, big, glorious reissue for Everything Is Everything, and so I've been doing a bunch of research for that. It's fucking been great. And um, I'm also working on liner notes for a Lobby Cifre upcoming um, oh. anthology um, reissue as well. And both of those projects, I'm doing research to help Oliver Wang with it. So okay. um, that's really fun um, working on that. And there's been a little bit of back and forth regarding um, some work that I've been working towards for the Paris Review regarding uh, mm-hmm. Black Thoughts. But it looks like that's going to move forward. So I'm really happy with that. I'm going to con- I'm going to reconnect with Tariq hopefully sometime this week to fill in some questions, and um, hopefully this is going to be the start of more hip hop history oriented stuff for the Paris Review. That that's is so dope, working. Dave. Thank you. Sir. I don't Thank know enough Labby Sifri uh, songs to make a reference, but in terms of Donny Hathaway, let's just say I'm a jealous guy. <laughs> nice well done, well done. Love thank it. you guys thank you Love Nate it. yeah man that's that's so dope um, basically we'll be auditioning a new third member of Dad Bod Rap Pod when Dave, <laughs> when Dave leaves uh, when he when goes Dave big time to Perry. yeah when he moves to <laughs> Perry to do the uh, the Paris Bod Rap Pod um, so <laughs> Dad Bod Rap Pod we drop a new episode every Thursday you have just listened to episode 128 we want to thank you for investing the time and energy into that. 
you can always find us on all of the major streaming platforms where you get your podcasts. That's Apple Music, Google Play, SoundCloud, um, Spotify, the whole bit. You can connect with us on social media at DadBodRapPod on Twitter and at DadBodRapPod on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, Nate and I are stepping out of our age category and we are doing an IG live uh, kind of bro down every Friday, five, five o'clock, Nate? Yes. All right, five o'clock. Watch, five. watch, the, uh, watch the social handles. We, we're yeah. trying to do like a five to 5.30 Friday week capper, yep. uh, kind of pitch the, and promote the current episode, kind of just fuck around. I'm trying to make it about my record collection because like- Trying to? Trying to? In the first one, it was quite a bit about my record collection because I've been looking for more of an outlet to kind of tell the stories around the records that I've collected over the years. And uh, some some folks stopped by last time. Maybe we could get a couple more coming. And we're going to work Dave into it as well. Um, Absolutely. And just kind of just tell stories and just have... I, I, I was looking for a format to be a little bit more free with what we say, I don't plan on recording these so we can tell some stories that wouldn't make the air. Dad bod unauthorized on IG live. <laughs> and just while Friday. we're, while we're wrapping here, I have to say, uh, dad bod snack pod, uh, getting rave reviews. And, yeah. Uh, people, people are wanting the food content. So we're, I'm, I'm thinking about some things I'll be DMing you guys and emailing you guys of, things to possibly formalize that a little mm-hmm. bit. But, uh, or or caramelize, as you should say. <laughs> Sorry, it was there. It was right there. I want everyone to have good reactions, like my yard. Um, so we should, we should be thinking about ways we can like make a, make a recurring thing. Or we'll, we'll talk off the air. This is getting boring for the, uh, the listeners. But thanks, everybody. Um, it was a pretty good week for us. We have some big news coming up. We're going to announce oh, pretty yeah. soon. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, a lot of things are happening behind the scenes. We appreciate all of you, those of you who um, fucked with us early, especially. So That's right. Yeah. Get our rookie card now. Nate J. LeBlanc, David Ma, Damone Carter. We are the dead bod rap pod. Be well. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 